Hello and welcome to the 35th episode of How Not to Suck at the Stocks. This show is for entertainment purposes only and extremely not safe for work. So this episode is on Apple. So let me tell you a quick story. Uh, so starting four years ago, I invested over half my net worth into Apple. And then this last Monday, I sold it for four times what I had paid for it. Uh, so I took Monday off. I was just dancing and singing the entire day. I gave my girlfriend the best five minutes of her life. And then I went to sleep and I woke up last Tuesday thinking, where the hell am I going to put nearly two thirds of my net worth? Um, especially with asset prices not exactly being on sale like they were back in March and April. Um, so this episode is not about where I'm going to put the money. This episode is about three things. Uh, first, we're going to talk about why I bought Apple in the first place. Next, we're going to talk about why I eventually sold Apple. And then last, we're going to talk about uh, just some footnotes real quick. Real interesting stuff for the, for the hardcore fans, all, uh, all three of you. So let's get into why I bought Apple in the first place. So I was already familiar with the company, both as a consumer, as an investor, and as an investor, but I had sold it because I just, uh, I was bad at being an investor when I first started. I, I hated making money, apparently. I, I would joke that I was the only person to go long on Apple and actually lose money in the last 10, 15 years. But in any case, so I, I bought it again in Apple, which by the way, there is a lesson there. Like, don't be afraid to admit you made a mistake and get back in on a stock at a much higher price than you had sold it. Like the stock does not care that you used to own it. You have no relationship with the stock. You are not sleeping with it. Like don't, you know, don't let drama come into, get in between you and making the correct financial decision with your money. So anyway, so I started looking at Apple again and I was reading the annual reports and I was looking through the numbers and I was looking through the footnotes. And what I had found was, lo and behold, an amazing company. But then when I looked at the price, it was trading at about 10 times earnings on a net cash basis, as low as eight or nine times earnings. And the overall stock market was at about 20 times earnings. And so what that said to me was that the stock market uh, thought Apple was a below average company. I disagreed. I thought Apple was an above average company. It's kind of like uh, if the Patriots are, you, know, you think they're going to win against the Buffalo Bills, let's say, and it's in uh, Foxborough. And, um, but the Patriots are a two to one dog. Okay. Well, that could be an amazing bet unless Vegas knows something you don't. And so that's when you look up to see, okay, you know, did Cam Newton blow out his shoulder? So that's what I started doing. I started exploring bear cases and I would host investment meetups. I would go to investment meetups in the city. Uh, I would you know, go online trying to find like, what do people not like about Apple. And I think if you do that, I think if you understand the bear cases better than the people um, propagating them, then you're never really going to be caught off guard. So I'm going to go through a list of bear cases that they had for Apple. Um, if I appear to be, um, you know, dismissive and flippant, uh, it's not intentional. I'm just trying to get through these as fast as I can uh, for time's sake. Uh, so the first one, uh, Apple is no longer a growth company. Well, sure. I mean, they made the transition from a growth company to a value stock. And I think a lot of people uh, misjudged that. They didn't know how to value it. All they could see was that the company was slowing down, um, but they didn't know how to value that. So with a company trading at 10 times earnings, it wasn't being valued 
as a growth stock, you know, so that was neither here nor there. And by the way, when I say like 10 times earnings, I don't mean like you go on Yahoo Finance and it tells you what the PE is. I mean, like you actually go and you clean up, you normalize the earnings and you adjust for, you know, cash and uh, net cash and different things. Uh, but in any case, so that was one bear case. Another one was Apple is not doing good in China. With all due respect, any Chinese listeners I may have, uh, China is a third world shithole. The average GDP is what? $6,000 per person. Um, the government is a dictatorship that uh, props up their own businesses. And, like, of course, a knockoff brand, which I will not mention, will do very well in China. Um, when you look at the demographics, Apple does particularly well in more affluent communities. And then it does poor in poor communities, which, if that doesn't sum up uh, the third world, then I don't know what does. So that didn't, that didn't concern me. I thought that was more indicative of China as a market than Apple as a product or company. Um, let's see, the last, or not the last one, the third one. Uh, Apple revenues are down from last year. Uh, yeah, so Apple is a cyclical business. Okay, some of the iPhones are extremely iterative, and some of them are only, you know, slightly iterative. Uh, so there are, there, are, there are big years and there are low years. It, it's lumpy. Um, and another, another thing kind of throwing this off, like if you go back and like you look to see when iPhones are released, they tend to get released right around, like right before the first quarter. So part of the sales will be in the fourth quarter and then some, part of the sales will be in the first quarter of the following year. And they kind of move around the release dates of the different phones. And so anyway, it's a little bit tricky, but just rest assured, it's a cyclical product. I mean, let's just, you know, understand this. Um, so that, that was one bear, which I didn't mind. I, I understand that. Like if other people want to sell it because it's a down year, I will gladly buy it for the long term. Uh, a similar bear case was, well, the phones are too expensive. Um, I never particularly bought that, uh, no pun intended, because like $1,000 for a phone isn't that big a deal when you consider, okay, the next, you know, like a Samsung, let's say is like 600, just pulling the numbers out of my ass. Okay, so that's a $400 premium. But that $400 premium is being amortized over the next two years because you have a contract with a wireless carrier and it's at no interest. So to the average person, like, what does that really come out to? I mean, let me, I guess I could use the power of math to figure out what that comes out to. 400 divided by 24, that comes out to less than $17 a month. Uh, I don't think, you know, there's too many people in America where an extra $17 a month is really going to sway them one way or another to see if the phone is too expensive. And uh, anyway, so I did not find much merit in, in that bear case, which, which, by the way, it's very difficult to become a premium brand. It's very difficult to become a luxury brand. Okay, Apple is the only person in the consumer uh, consumer electronics space, I even know to have done it, to say they're the only person to do it, just the only one I can think of right now. It's very hard to become a luxury brand. It's very easy to go in the opposite direction. You can destroy your brand with too many discounts and sales very easily. Um, you have to be really smart when you do it. Like Tiffany, for example, is considered a luxury brand, but most of their volume is actually marked down discounted jewelry. And that's because they put the high margin uh, marked up goods in the front of the store. So it peacocks that brand and they put the discounted stuff in the back of the store where it, where it won't peacock uh, their discount. So in any case, uh, that's kind of what Apple does. Every so often they do release like an SE or a, a 5C kind of kind of phone to get that part of the pie. 
Uh, let's see, another bear case. And these were all bear cases. You could find these in any analyst report. Um, this is why the stock was trading so cheaply. For all These were real reasons that people thought concerned them. Uh, competitors could make a new phone. I thought, well, Amazon has tried that, and then they failed. Facebook tried that, and they failed. Microsoft, I can't say Microsoft tried to make a phone. I will say Microsoft made a phone. I'm not sure how much uh, they actually tried. Uh, Google Pixel, they're still failing at that. Uh, LG, BlackBerry, etc. cetera. Uh, Samsung is the only one to be able to do it profitably other than Apple. Um, so yes, I, I, yes, fairies could exist. Someone could come out with a new phone to challenge Apple. It's just if it hasn't happened in the last 10 years at the time, um, you know, I, of all the things to be afraid of, I'm more afraid of like a piano falling on my head than some competitor coming out of nowhere and displacing the iPhone as you know the most uh, sought-after phone in the world. Um, let's see, another bear case was... Okay, so they used to have a shitload of cash. Oh, this one's kind of technical. I'm, I'm going to rush through it. So they used to have like $200 billion overseas uh, because it's basically legalized tax fraud. So if you Google, what is it, like the double Dutch Irish... Something like that. The double Dutch Irish sandwich. If you put those terms into Google, you can read more about it. Um, basically, it isn't like they sold a phone in China and that's a Chinese sale and they pay a Chinese tax. And to bring that money back to America, they'd have to pay even more. That's not really what it is. What it is, is there's some Irish subsidiary, and I guess Dutch subsidiaries as well, if that name has any bearing on where the subsidiaries are. Um, and those subsidiaries have like some software right or some patent that's in the iPhone. So when you buy a phone in California, that Irish or Dutch subsidiary is getting a cut and then... Apple is only paying the tax to, you know, Ireland, where the tax rate is much, much lower. Um, and so anyway, the, the, the Trump tax cut, uh, it lowered it from 35 to 21 on all corporate income. And then the repatriation was only like, I think, I want to say like 10 or 12 percent. I'm not quite sure. So anyway, long story short, I was never going to value that cash um, by discounting it at 35 percent tax rate because I knew that wasn't realistic. I, anyway. That's also why they have so much debt, is because rather than repatriate the money at such a high um, tax rate, they just started using it as collateral to take on debt so they could buy up shares and dividends. So I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't really know, so let me continue. Um, another bear case, and this is one of the last ones, pardon me, is two-thirds of the revenue comes from the iPhone, so the cash flows are not diversified enough. Um, that's just nitpicking. I mean, is Google not diversified enough? Is Facebook not diversified enough? Um, you know, is Coca-Cola... Well, they have thirty. Uh, they have three hundred different uh, brands. Yeah, but it's all sugar water. I mean, it's naive diversification at best. Um, but no one says that about those companies. See, the price drives the narrative. When people wake up in the morning and they see a ten multiple, they their brain already has made the conclusion that that is right because people do not think for themselves. I could do a whole episode on this, but people like to think they think. That's how the brain works. So they've already come to the conclusion that the market is right. And then they just backfill it with whatever bullshit. Like all the reasons I've given so far were bullshit. That's why the price, there, was, there wasn't, um, no one was thinking about it correctly. That's why it was so cheap. The, one of the best companies in the entire world was selling uh, drastically discounted. It was probably the biggest discount I'm ever going to see in my entire life. It was the fattest pitch um, I was ever going to have. In any case, um, yeah, so that never really concerned me, two-thirds of the revenue coming from an iPhone. 
Uh, and last but not least, uh, they would say they're not innovating enough. Um, one, I think you have to be patient. I think you have to understand like a new iPhone, a new iPod, and like that's not going to come out every you know five years. It's just not realistic. Um, so if they listen to Wall Street, Wall Street actually wanted Apple to make TVs, and I don't mean like uh, Apple TV Plus, which the morning show on there is actually very good. You recommend it, but they wanted actual TVs. Like you would go into a Best Buy and you would see TVs with the Apple logo. Can you think of a lower margin, higher capital business than producing TVs? Uh, if you answered cars, you are correct. Wall Street also wanted them to go into the car business, which is, of course, a shitty business. Um, I'm aware about Project Titan. I have always held out hope that that was more about driverless cars or developing uh, CarPlay, for example, which sucks, by the way. I mean, a lot of their goods and services do really suck, if I were to be perfectly honest. Like Siri, you're on my hit list, Siri. Um, but that's really it uh, for bear cases. Um, as for, so, why I sold, um, and just just to be quick. You notice I didn't like talk up why great how great Apple is. I think everyone knows that now. I was trading at thirty eight p. I don't think I have to. So that's why I spent so much time talking about my thought process of why I bought it back then, focusing on the negatives people were saying rather than the positives you could say about the business. Because like I said, I think that cat's out of the bag at this point. Um, as for why I sold Apple, um, Apple is a slow growth company. Their revenues are not going to grow very fast. Uh, and it doesn't deserve to trade at 38 times earnings. Even if the PE were to stay consistent, and whether you're holding it for five years, 10 years, whatever, even if you could say the PE stays constant, in order for you to get a 10% return on your investment, the bottom line is going to have to grow at 10%. Now, I realize dividends and share buybacks complicate that, allow me to hand wave that by just saying margin of safety. Okay. I don't think 10% growth out of them is likely. And in fact, I think multiple contraction is extremely likely, which means in order to get a 10% growth out of it, the bottom line would have to go faster at 10% which I view as not an impossibility, just as an improbability. Um, but there is someone who disagrees with me. Uh, you may recognize the name. Philip A. Fisher. There's a quote on the front of this book. I am eager to read... That's not what he says. I am an eager reader of whatever Phil has to say, and I recommend him to you by someone known as, oh, I don't know, Warren Buffett. And the title of this book is Paths to Wealth Through Common Stocks. Uh, this is the sequel to... What is it? Common Stocks and Common Profits, which I also recommend. This book I'm just barely into, but I did make some highlights that I would like to share with you right now on the subject of what to do when you have a company that is trading at a high multiple. So here we go. Okay, now when many routine stocks are selling at what, judged by most past standards, seem extremely high prices, he might re-examine his holdings with the thought of eliminating any investments that are not of truly outstanding character. Um, on the other hand, any possibility that the really unusual stock may be temporarily overvalued should not be the least inducement towards causing an investor to sell that type of security. There are just too many chances that, one, the expected price reaction will not occur, as in the multiple will not contract. Two, if it does, the investor will, ha uh, will wait for still lower prices and will not get back in until the stock has again climbed to even higher levels. Three, by the time the reaction does come, the stock will have continued to climb so much that at its bottom, it will still be above present prices. I'm going to continue reading from 
this book with, I, I bookmarked for a reason. That's oh, the wrong bookmark, pardon me. Okay. Uh, then he goes on to say, Therefore, if he is sure that the significant increase that these change price-earnings ratios have made in the value of his holdings is due to his stock now having a justified institutional acceptance, it did not previously enjoy. Basically what he's saying, uh, if the price multiple expansion is due to institutions buying it up. Uh, he can be rather certain that this state of things will continue and that his gain is just as real, i.e. permanent, as though he had solely come from, as if it had come solely from improvement in earning power. Pardon me, he's, uh, I mean, this guy was born in like during the Civil War, so it's very difficult for me to read um, how he writes. Like Harrison Ford used to say, George, you can type it, but you can't say this shit. That was more uh, Jack Nicholson. Let's see, and then he continues, I'm almost done. The price of the intrinsically finest investments are up on stilts because of institutional demand. There is nothing particularly dangerous about this. They will stay at this high price earnings ratio and will continue to go up in price about in proportion to how their earnings expand so as long as they retain their unusual qualities. Um, as institutions eventually sell them, they lose their premium value. However, this price decline usually will not occur until long after an institutional stock has begun to lose much of its former attractiveness. This lag is partly because of the normal tendency of investors to recognize belatedly the changed characteristics of a stock that has attained a reputation for being particularly attractive. Holders of the high price-to-earnings ratio stocks need have no fear the high price-to-earnings ratios themselves as long as they have strong reason to believe their holdings will continue to in the intrinsic continue in the intrinsic nature warranting them. Uh, just to belabor the point, let me finish up with, the history of American business has shown that many of the most prominent of these high price earning ratio institutional stocks uh, keep their managements fresh and vigorous to a point where they never do come down off their stilts, but keep on growing decade after decade. I should mention there were paragraphs in between a lot of the stuff I said, so he isn't quite as repetitive um, as I'm making it out to be. What's that sound? I hear a beeping. Is that coming from inside the house? No. I'm going crazy. You channel Jack Nicholson one time. If I can, hmm. What does he even say? Does he even have a line? Here's Johnny. That probably sounded nothing like Jack Nicholson. Anyway, here we go. Um, so I wanted to know why the price had gotten so high uh, with Apple. And so I rechecked the numbers. I rechecked the reports. I looked through the footnotes, everything you're supposed to do. And I couldn't really find anything in there that made me think that they were primed for this huge growth spurt. And so I texted my friends and asked them if they, uh, you know, were working on the cure for cancer or something. And of course they're not. And I looked online, sorry, there's someone, someone outside my window. Anyway, and uh, the number one thing I saw was that there was going to be a stock split. And, you know, this is kind of like your wife comes home at two in the morning and you're like, where the hell have you been? And she goes, oh, I was out sucking dick. It's like, okay, well, that was kind of the worst answer you could have given. And so when I looked online to see why the price was going up so much, and it's like, oh, there's going to be a stock split. It's like, okay, well, that's pretty much the worst fucking reason you could have given. Um, not a lot of confidence there. Another thing, too, is just momentum. So it was undervalued for so long, and then it became reasonably valued, then it just overshot it. So last year it went up, what, over 80%. This year it's up like 70% year to date. There's a lot of dumb money just chasing it at this point. Um, and the thought of buying something that's gone up is just like you know, just the stupidest thing I can think of. Like you didn't want it when it was cheaper, but you want it when it's more expensive. 
It's like a, it's like how a little kid thinks. Just, oh, everyone is doing that. I, I must mimic that. In any case, uh, this reason actually seemed to make sense. So Ivy, who is apparently a, a shill for banks now, uh, thinks there's going to be a super cycle with the iPhone 12. Remember I mentioned how cyclical Apple is? Ivy believes that this is going to be a big cycle. This is actually a good reason. I don't think it warrants a 38 uh, PE by any means, but it's at least um, substantive. Uh, the next one, they're working on AR glasses. Um, like, yeah, sure. They've been working on AR ever since the first iPhone. Um, I'm not saying AR wouldn't be cool, but I don't think Apple has to be the one to invent it. Like, let someone else do the dirty work. I kind of like how Apple just lets other people be the first one in, like Fitbit with the smartwatch, or someone else with, like, the wireless headset, or, you know, the big screen, or, like, the foldable uh, phone. And, like, just let other people do it, and then you come in, act like as your fucking idea, and charge twice as much for it. That's a much better business model. Also, they're working on the kids' Apple Watch, which uh, you should YouTube kids' beer. It's really funny. It has nothing to do with anything, but it's funny. But yeah, kids watch, air glasses. I'm doing the, the jerking off motion. You just can't see it. Um, and then finally, uh, this is actually the most salient point I could find, but it's actually a, a, a negative, and that's, of course, the antitrust talk surrounding Apple as far as the App Store, the lawsuit between them and Epic. Um, I'm going to leave my personal opinions aside on the issue. I, I am heavily biased as a shareholder of Facebook and Google and, as of recently, Apple. Um but, uh, yeah, that fucks... If they can no longer charge 30% for their App Store platform, that fucks over their entire business model. I mean, so much of Apple's business model is to create platforms. And if they cannot charge for those platforms, then that is like having a toll road that you cannot charge tolls on. It is no longer a feasible business model at that point. So, yes, that would fuck them clean in the ass. I think they easily win that in America just because, I mean, America. But in socialist Europe and socialist China especially considering Epic is a Chinese company, I don't know if they win that. And I'm not saying it would sell because of that, but it's clearly not being priced in with through the uh, euphoric uh, high of the price. And then this leads me to my last point. How am I doing on time? Yep, I said it was going to be the longest episode. I warned you. Now we're into footnotes. This is the nitty-gritty titty committee. This is for the diehards, people who really want to know what's going on. Uh, first one, they do smooth out earnings. Namely, services and the iPhone itself. So if you look at the table, I don't know what page it's on. Just go to any of their uh, reports. You will see them break it out by iPhone, iMac, uh, iPad, wearables, and services. In footnote three, next to services, they explain that what they actually do is they take part of the sale of the iPhone and stuff it into services. Um, they do this with the iCloud, which is dog shit, Siri, which is worse than dog shit, and uh, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, Apple Maps, which is uh, is also is also dog shit. It's just all dog shit. And so they do that to buff up the services numbers. And they did they re they retroactively adjusted the numbers going back to 2017. Um, it seemed to be about by three billion dollars if you look at the numbers. So I I estimated that the 2019 numbers were beefed by um, three billion. And then 2018, 17, you can like literally see for yourself how much they're being beefed by just by going looking at the old reports. But the average was three billion. So if you're looking at services from before 2017, you would think, oh wow, look at all this growth. Well, most of that is organic. Just be aware that about three billion of it is uh, is not. And then as for smoothing out earnings with the iPhone, uh, they amortize. 
um, the phone. So it isn't just like, okay, we sold a phone on September 1st for $1,000 and we have $1,000 cash. Um, they save some of that $1,000 for a rainy earnings report day. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, so if you're going to account for net cash, and what I mean by that is like, okay, so let's say it used to be important. So when the company was trading at, uh, if I didn't already say this in the top of the show, if the company is trading at $700 billion and they have over $100 billion of net cash, well, then you're getting a huge discount, a one-seventh discount, whatever the case may be. But when the company is trading at over $2 trillion, then having $100 billion net cash, you know, it, it's a rounding error at that point. It's less than 5%. Um, but if you are going to account for the, the cash, as in, you know, it, it's, it's like a discount, then I would also back out the interest income and the interest expense, just because that is all coming from that cash position, uh, if that makes sense. And if it doesn't, then I really don't want to get into it. Um, but, but basically, you can't count the cash twice. You can't discount the cash from the, the market cap to get the enterprise value, but then also be adding the interest income to the earnings. It's either one or the other. Hopefully that makes sense. And if it doesn't, well, I'm doing a poor job of explaining it. Um, the tax cuts. So obviously there was the, tr uh, the Trump tax cuts. Just when you're looking at the bottom line, adjust for it. You know, either look above the bottom line, you know, pre-taxes uh, line, or just give the same tax rate to every uh, year so you don't have the reduced tax rate goosing the numbers. Um, and finally, pay attention to the court cases. Uh, those fees and taxes really add up, and that's going to reduce their net cash position. Um, I mentioned before the double Dutch Irish sandwich that I couldn't quite uh, remember exactly how to say. Um, there is a European Union decision. It's called the Europe European Union State Tax Decision, I want to say where Apple got sued for something like $14 billion, and that's in euros. Don't ask me to convert. I, I want to say it's like 16 or 17 USD at the time I did the calculation last. Uh, I know it actually, USD went down 7% since March. America! But uh, in any case, and that's just one of them. That's the big one, but there are other lawsuits. They do get sued. I would take that into account. Same with companies like Facebook with that, you know, that $5 billion FTC uh, lawsuit. But in any case... Um, that's really all I had to say. This actually might not be the longest episode. I think the Bob Iger one, where it started with a review of Bob Iger's book and ended up as like an 18-minute Star Wars rant, I think that one went over. Uh, but thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope to do episodes soon. Like I said, I am sitting on a shit ton of cash. Uh, that is, of course, a financial term. And I'm going to have to stick it somewhere. That's what she said. And actually, that'd be, that'd be kind of weird if that's what she said. I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't be into it, but hmm, it'd be unusual. All right. Have a good day. Bye-bye.